This podcast is a product of the 4th and Inches Network. A podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW. Enjoy the show and go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. That's right, I did say the Dog and Duck Show after a couple of weeks without my favorite co-host, Mark Schmore, the only duck in my life that gets to spend this amount of time with me. Mark is back. Mark, how are you doing, my friend? Warren, I am I am doing great, uh, but I have to say I come into this podcast with a great deal of jealousy, and it's jealousy towards you because uh, you got to spend some time on the practice field, mixing it up with your team. Now I wasn't necessarily jealous. I didn't want to go see the Huskies practice. I would have rather gone to see the Ducks practice. But you, you got a, a press pass and were able to spend some time at Husky practice uh, last week. And I would love to just get into that right now and hear a little bit about uh, your experience. Well, for anybody that's listening to the show that is just a longtime sports fan, particularly if you have one team that you really grew up cheering for, like I grew up cheering for the Huskies and you grew up cheering for the Ducks. I think that for many of us, there is that secret dream of, wanting to be a coach, an announcer, uh, a, a sports journalist. And certainly that's been a long time, you know, passion and, and interest to me. And so when I got the opportunity through Real Dog and Mike Martin and our association now with uh, the Fourth and Inches podcast to go and cover an opening for Real Dog on Wednesday morning of last week, it really was a, a kind of like a fantasy camp type of environment for me where I'm looking around going, man, this is something that I always have wanted to do. And now I'm doing it. And I'm standing on the sideline with, you know, some of the, the, the beat reporters and Tony Castricone and, you know, the, the coaches are literally, you know, a dozen feet from where I'm standing and, the, the players are, are are cheering with one another and you can hear them encouraging each other and joking with each other and seeing some of the, the camaraderie that you don't necessarily get to pick up on from reading somebody else's practice report. Uh, so it was a great time. So basically, Mark, I, I got there, I came in and uh, this was the, the last practice that was open to the media. It was the only practice where they did 11 on 11 drills with full pads uh, for the media to see. And it started as you would expect outdoors um, in the main stadium. Uh, there was a little bit of a gray sky and it was just, an, it, it felt like a nice fall Husky day. And uh, about 30 minutes into the practice, there was a little bit of rain. And then all of a sudden, uh, a couple of the uh, you know, sports information directors uh, came up, told all of us journalists that they were going to be moving the practice indoors to uh, the, the indoor practice facility, which was really cool, Mark, because 
Whereas in the stadium, we're sitting in, in these, you know, the stadium seats 30, 40, 50 feet away from yeah. the, the sidelines and from the field in the practice facility, we were literally just mere feet from the players in the action to the point that I had to really be on my toes to back up quickly if an oncoming player runs through the sideline. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it was, you know, that kind of an environment and uh, just really an exciting opportunity. And, and then after the practice was over, we went back out to the main Husky uh, field and we got to interview a couple of the coaches and a, a few of the players, including Dylan Morris, Sam Heward, Giles Jackson, and uh, just, yeah, a great, uh, a great experience and something I hope to get, a, get to do again in the future. I love it. Uh, I'm curious, um, just in terms of the visceral, you know, sensation of, of being around athletes like that. I, like, I'm, I'm thinking of when I was in high school, I remember my high school football team, uh, we were playing in the state championship at Autzen Stadium in Eugene. And so the day before the game, we were in their indoor practice facility. We were going to do a little team activity in there. And, uh, and we got to watch a little portion of the Ducks practice. And we were sitting there and these like four guys walk by and they're absolutely ripped. And I remember we just, we we're just looking at them like these guys are like, you know, more ripped than anybody on our team. And we were a really good high school team. Yeah. And then they start warming up and we realize they're the punters and the kickers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that even these, these four punters and kickers were like freakishly athletic and then the rest of the guys come out and you, you just kind of realize like, Oh, this is, this is a different, different level. Did that. Yeah. One of the kickers for the Huskies a year or two ago, Tim Horn, he was like six two, 220 pounds. And he looked like uh, an NFL linebacker, but yeah. Was our exactly. kicker. yeah. yeah. Well, Cause even those guys you figure were probably like, the best player on their high school team and they just happen to be a good kicker you know like yeah so, yeah i mean to your po point mark i mean our, there was so one player in particular that stood out to me nate Kalepo. he is an offensive lineman projected probably be first or second string at guard this year i saw him uh in person his senior year he and i were just happened to be in the same place at the same time i recognized who he was and he was just a really big lumbering kid, but there wasn't a lot of definition in his body at that time. He just, you know, was the raw clay of a potential future offensive lineman. But then to see him now, three years later, and I mean, he he looks like a man. He's chiseled. He's intimidating. And I and I was just blown away by the size, but also the development of you know this young man. Yeah. But then Mark, actually, on the flip side, obviously, there are gigantic guys all over the, the field. But on the flip side, during my interviews, you know, I'm standing next to Sam Heward, and he's listed at, I think, 6'1". Maybe that's true, but, you know, it, it could be 5'11", 6 foot. But he he still looks like a kid. You know, he's still got a baby face. He's not a big... He's not like a Jacob Eason type of dominating, you know, Brock Heward or, uh, you know, one of those 
type of guys uh, that really intimidates you with his physical you know, stature. And then Giles Jackson uh, interviewing him. I'm pretty sure that I'm taller than he is. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, again, it's like, it, it it's like amazing on both ends of the spectrum. You see these guys and they're, you go, whoa, that guy is six foot seven. He's 330 pounds. And he seems to be made of solid muscle. And then there's this other guy and he's probably five foot six or five foot seven. And yet, you know, he's making plays all over the field. So right. it's, it's kind of a fun thing to, to take note of that, man, you know, if you've got skills and you're in the right spot for your, your, your gift set, you know, you can, you can find a place on the team. Well, and I guess that would, that's the, the, uh, the compliment, the to the size is the speed, right? Is that if you're an, if you're an elite athlete and you don't have the size makeup, it's because you've got breathtaking speed and quickness. Else. Yeah. So when you see somebody like Giles Jackson, that's more what you would take away from it. I'm sure. Yeah. So Mark, you, you and I both, I think we agree that, that the idea of, you know, being, uh, a beat reporter for each of our teams is something of a, a pipe dream for, for both of us. So, you know, given the opportunity right now going into this season, what would you want to ask coach Dan Lanning if you had the microphone and you held it out to him on the field? Boy, uh, it's a great question. You know, I've been Dan Lanning. He's got like, uh, he does his media availability after each day's, mm. you know, camp now and after each day of camp. And, and so I've been watching or listening to those, you know, nine or 10 minutes of him just answering question after question after question. So I have a sense of how he would answer a lot. I think um, there's definitely like a sense of, I would love to know what his honest answer is. And you don't mm -hmm. always know that, you know, you, like right yeah. now, the big question amongst Oregon fans is, you know, who's kind of winning the quarterback battle because you've mm -hmm. got this three headed uh, quarterback race between Bo Nix, the transfer from Auburn, and then Ty Thompson, the highly touted uh, now, I guess, uh, sophomore technically uh or i don't know if he still counts as a redshirt freshman and then um jay butterfield is also in that mix and he essentially kind of dodges that every time by saying what i feel great about is we have three guys that we can win with and you know and he's not yeah. whereas i i would i would want to uh to dig a little deeper and so maybe what i would ask uh is what uh what will ultimately make that decision and who will make that decision like is this yeah. something that ultimately you will be the deciding voice on is it something that you're leaving up to your offensive coordinator and your quarterbacks coach and that they're going to come to you and tell you like is there a time frame of you need to have that decision made by the first week so that they're taking all of those reps leading into the game like I think I would want to kind of somehow get around um, recognizing that he's not going to give me the name of who right now is kind of the leader, but kind of a sense of, okay, but what all is going into that, that decision-making machinery, uh, which I'm sure is, is at the top of his mind as well as the rest of the coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You know, I mean, I think um, both of us are, are perhaps savvy enough to know that coaches are going to give you coach speak on those questions that 
I mean, there's there's not a lot of nuance to who's the starting quarterback. Right. Like, we all we all know that that's not going to be something that they reveal until they're ready to reveal it. So I think you know, kind of coming from a perspective of getting a story that yeah. they want to tell, but nobody else has asked. You know, yeah. like tell me about your offensive coordinator. Like, what is he like whenever you know he gets around the players? You know, and then it's. Yeah. Oh, he brings out the best in them and he does this. And, you know, he, he really likes to cut loose and have fun. And, and so it's interesting to kind of ask some of those questions where, you know, there's nothing on the line for him to um, reveal information about a particular question that you're answering or that, that you're asking, but it still has some interest to you and to the listeners uh, that, that follow the team. So I think that that's kind of what I would uh, be, be looking for if I was in a position like that. Well, and, and to your point about that, one of the questions uh, that was asked of him had, had to do with kind of this mock Olympics that the team is going through right mm. now. They're, you know, they're doing everything from free throw shooting to, to who's got the best driver on their, with the golf golf club, mm -hmm. you know, um, and they're having all of these different competitions and they're divided into teams and different coaches have players on their team, but they can't have anybody in their position group on the team that they've assembled. And so it's this kind of fun little team building exercise. And, and in the midst of talking about this, you know, Dan Lanning talked about Jay Butterfield, who right now is one of these <laughs> three quarterbacks competing for the job. Yes, scratch now, golfer. Yeah. Well, he's, he said uh, it was the bowling, but he bowled at 234. And he ah. said, everybody knew Jay, we were in trouble when Jay uh, showed up at the bus with his own uh, bowling ball. And, yeah. you know, that that was kind of a kind of a telling indicator and that and that it hasn't just been bowling. It's been, you know, cornhole and everything else that he's just kind of killing it in all the Olympics. And so that that's a fun little angle where you realize, OK, this guy's competing his tail off for a quarterback job with two other guys that sound like they're very equal in terms of what they're able to accomplish. And yet you, you kind of get an indicator of what some of the other experience is like for him and how this coaching staff is keeping a guy like that engaged in the culture of the team, because ultimately two of these guys are not going to be starting come day yeah. one. And you want them to remain committed to this program. That's so true. And that that's never been more important and necessary than it is in this current age of college football. So interestingly, the Huskies are also doing their own version of the Olympics. My understanding is that that was introduced about five years ago by way of Jeff Tedford, when Tedford was an offensive analyst for the Huskies. Uh, it remained with Chris Peterson. When Co Coach Kalen DeBoer showed up, uh, he asked the players whether or not they wanted to continue to do that. They said yes. So they've continued to to have that uh, Olympics um, competition. And I think that's fun. I think that that brings the team together. And like you said, it deepens the bond so that it makes it more difficult for a guy to jettison the team once he finds out he's not the starter. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, let's, let's uh, get into the meat of our show today. So we are right on the doorstep of the beginning of college football. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes. And we want to take a look at the 
at both of our schedules, the Husky schedule, the Oregon schedule, take a look at each game and make our preseason predictions for what, uh, for how each team's going to perform throughout the season. And then, you know, review whether or not, you know, we stack up or where we differ and then how we compare to how Vegas breaks down their preseason prediction. So, uh, Mark, maybe give us a little bit of an overview of what is Vegas saying about Oregon? What's Vegas saying about Washington right now? Yeah, interestingly, so Oregon, who I believe is ranked in the top 12 in both the coaches and the AP poll uh, that came out in the last week or two, uh, their over-under is listed at eight and a half. They're coming off of a 10-win season. Uh, so Vegas seems to be uh, expecting the Ducks to take a bit of a step back. And I would think that if the Ducks, you know, um, end up with something around there, that that over-under. Now, this is a regular season win total only, so it does not apply to a conference championship game or a bowl game. But um, if, you know, if they're expecting – you know, a nine and three, eight and four type season, which would say to me that they're that Vegas is not necessarily expecting Oregon to live up to, you know, a top 12 ranking at the end of the season. Uh, whereas on, on the Washington side of it, uh, I don't believe Washington received a single vote in either of the top 25 polls. This is after last year, they entered what they were in the top 20 preseason. Uh, and so, they're coming in very much under the radar as far as the polls are concerned. Uh, but Vegas has them at seven and a half wins, which is just one win behind Oregon. And so, you know, if, uh, if Oregon goes under and Washington goes over, they could, they could finish with identical win totals in, in terms of uh, how Vegas sees it. So uh, very interesting that they seem to be a little more bullish on the Huskies and a little more uh, skeptical on the Ducks. So what what the two teams obviously differ on is their record from last year. The Huskies vastly, you know, underperformed. The, the Ducks had a, a in overall a strong season, including a very impressive win on the road against Ohio State. Uh, I think that was kind of the signature moment for the year for the Ducks. Uh, you know, the, that's where the biggest difference is. But then if you look a little closer. You've got two teams that both have brand new coaching staffs. Uh, I think both teams are um, are above the 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 norm in terms of talent. Both are trying to determine who their quarterback is. Both have a transfer quarterback that is expected to win the starting job, but hasn't been announced yet. Uh, similar teams. <laughs> yeah, with very similar names, uh, you know, uh, Michael Penix and and Bo Nix. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it seems to me like Vegas is basically saying, hey, listen, we don't really know what to think about either of these teams. So they're they're kind of hedging their bets on both sides of the equation from last year. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing here is just we'll, we'll get into the game by game, but um, both teams have the one marquee non-conference game for Oregon. It's on the road mm. at, or basically on the road. It's in Atlanta against Georgia. 
yeah. for, for Washington. It's a neutral site game. Right, a neutral site yeah. game in Atlanta uh, against the defending national champs. For Washington, it's home against Michigan State, who is, you know, ranked in the top 15 or so. So that's a big game. But but one would think that that a little taller test for for Oregon to, to go into Atlanta and try to beat Georgia. Um, but then here's the biggest difference that I noticed is Oregon's second best non-conference game is against BYU, who also figures to be around a top 25 team. Whereas, you know, a comparable game for Washington would be Kent State. We're going to talk about that game uh, a lot in the coming weeks. Um, and then in terms of the, the you know, interdivision games, Oregon plays Utah, Washington avoids Utah and USC. So if you kind of take the idea of Oregon's top three games are Georgia, BYU, and Utah are, are their three most challenging games. There's really only one game on Washington's schedule. Uh, I guess maybe two, if you count their game against Oregon, but, um, but that, that may also explain some of it is just a little bit of a, of a scheduling issue. One, one other question about that, and then we'll get into the, the game by game breakdown, but how much do you think the end of the season that Oregon kind of fell apart had to do with the way that Vegas is looking at them right now? It's, it's a fair question. And I, you know, I myself go back and forth on, on what to do with that. I think for the most part, I come away uh, because that there was a coaching change and there is such a new energy and a new culture that the way that they ended the last season will only serve to motivate them going into this year. Uh, whereas I think if it was, if, if the entire coaching staff was still the same and it was just, they'd had this really disturbing finish to their season where they lose three of their final four and just don't show up in, in those three losses. And the coaching staff is pretty much back intact. I would be wondering a little more about how are they jumpstarting things internally but I, I i just think there is such a fresh energy uh that i i don't think there's going to be much of a hangover from how they finished last season okay all right let's get into it let's let's go uh week by week uh each each team's first week and then we'll kind of make our predictions so mark obviously if you're talking about what is the more marquee game in week one clearly Oregon at the neutral site, I was going to say on the road, but Oregon at the neutral site location against the defending national championship champions, Georgia, albeit against Dan Lanning's former team. Uh, give me a little bit of breakdown of that game and your prediction. Well, so it's interesting, Warren, you remember last year when Oregon, uh, they had Ohio State in the second game of the season on the road in Columbus. And I think I spent the entire offseason just kind of basically counting that as a loss and just saying, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to they're going to lose that game on the road in Columbus. And then they they frankly, they shocked me by showing up and, and thoroughly outplaying Ohio State from start to finish in that game. And it was their best performance of the season. So I don't know how much of that to put into this Georgia game to say right. talent wise, like, you know, Oregon should have the guys to be on the same field with Georgia. Bruce, Bruce Feldman of the athletic put together his, his freaks list, you know, his, mm -hmm. his hundred kind of most freakish 
players. And he has four different guys from the Oregon defense included in that list and said that there were a couple more that he thought about including, um, but he ultimately had to limit it to the four that he included. That that There are very few teams across the country, if, if any, that have four of the guys that made that list. So if you just kind of look at the raw talent, you would say, mm-hmm. you know, Oregon, sh- these, this is the kind of game that Oregon has been building towards. And yet, when you think about the way Oregon ended their last season, when you think about the way Georgia ended their last season, it's hard, it's hard to really have much expectation that Oregon's going to win. So I think for Oregon fans, a lot of it is like, show up and compete, like be in the game in the fourth quarter, you know, don't, don't fall behind by 21 points to start the game. Don't throw four interceptions. Like don't do the things that just kind of lead to some sort of laugher, uh, but show up and compete and, and be in the game uh, going into the fourth quarter. And I think if that happens and, and then we'll see what happens. But I, I think that's, that's what I think most Oregon fans are, are really wanting to see is, is just a competitive effort. But I'm, I'm counting this as a loss. <laughs> that's a long way of saying uh, if, we're, if we're forced to choose wins and losses, I'm, I'm saying I, I'd still have to predict that they, they're going to lose. Well, and I mean that's that's a fair that's a fair choice. Obviously, as as talented as Oregon is, the recruiting class numbers still far out, you know, outweigh Georgia. They've got the momentum. They've got their returning quarterback. They've got, you know, Stetson Bennett coming back at quarterback. Um, obviously they lost a lot of talent on defense, but um with a defensive minded head coach, you don't worry about the Georgia defense. Uh, so my, my pick I'm going, I'm going Georgia, especially with that quote unquote home field, neutral field advantage. So, yeah. So week one, uh, I'm going to count that as a loss for Oregon, uh, which is tough. You don't want to start out. Oh, and one as Husky fans can remember from last year, it's not a good feeling, but certainly there's a lot of season left for Oregon to recover and regain momentum. So the Huskies have a much easier start to their season with Kent State. Kent State is the uh, the the school that uh, legendary Husky coach Don James got his coaching career off the ground. In fact, you know, Mark, a little story. When my dad uh, first started getting into Husky football, he told me that he was listening to the radio and they made the announcement that the Huskies had hired a head coach from Kent State called Don James and my name, Don James. And my dad said his first reaction was, who the hell is Don James? And and that was a pretty, you know, that's a pretty reasonable response, especially in the pre-internet days. But uh, this is a Kent State team that does bring in a very high-powered offense. Uh, they put up over 400 yards per game last season and uh, certainly are going to test this new, you know, revamped Husky defense, particularly the cornerbacks, Jordan Perryman and Devon Banks and Michelle Powell, who are uh, stepping in for uh, Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon, but 
I do think that uh, Kalen DeBoer is going to make sure that these guys are ready. Uh, they're going to execute a game plan. I, you know, I, I'm hoping with all hope that the Huskies don't take the mindset of trying to play vanilla in order to protect their playbook. I just hope that they go out and play their best football and get some really solid momentum. But I'm counting Kent State as a W for the Huskies. And I see no reason uh, to uh, to argue with you on that, Warren. I think uh, definitely have to pencil the Huskies in for that one. Although I do think Kent State is they're a, they're a feisty mid major. You know, they're they're a bowl team. Yeah. You know, they're they're gonna. They're going to be competent at least, so I think that's 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 kind of a good early season test. Can we uh, safely just kind of move past the week two games where Washington hosts Portland State and Oregon hosts Eastern Washington, or do you want to make a case that Oregon is going to struggle with Eastern Washington the way the Huskies uh, struggled with Montana last year? Well, I, I don't think that either one of our teams is going to lose to Portland State or Eastern Washington. But I will say that I believe it was 2015, Eastern Washington gave the Husky football team, maybe it was 2014, it was around that time, uh, they gave the Huskies a run for their money like you would not believe. That was the team that had Vernon Adams at quarterback, right? Cooper Cup at wide receiver right had a essentially uh, a defensive backfield with all freshmen starting in the back and uh, it was a barn burner until the very end the huskies pulled it out i don't see that happening this year either with portland state or eastern washington but um, as we learned last year with the montana game uh, if you come in without giving your best effort, you couldn't be embarrassed on a national level. Yeah, the final score of that game, that was 2014, was uh, 59 to 52. Yes. Uh, the final score of, of that game, a, a memorable, memorable uh, performance by Eastern Washington in defeat, for sure. Uh, it was one of those games, too, that um, – you know, when you think about the legacy of Jimmy Lake with the Husky program, um, that was one of the only games in the entire duration of Jimmy Lake's tenure when a team really lit it up through the air against his defense. Yeah. And, of course, none of us knew how good Cooper Cup was going to be, and we later found out how good Vernon Adams was against uh, the Huskies with the Ducks, but uh, that was a that was a, a a time where, you know, if, if we had just been a little bit uh, more loosey goosey, we could have lost that game. So it was it was that was a tight one. Let's uh, let's move on to week three, which I think is the most entertaining week on the schedule in terms of both teams mm -hmm. having really high profile you know, nationally televised games. Ori, uh, Washington will be hosting Michigan State and Oregon will be hosting BYU. So a good chance that both teams will be hosting top 25 teams 
Warren, what do you what do you make of uh, the Huskies' chances uh, hosting the Spartans? So this is a great question. I think the the obvious answer is, hey, this is a Michigan State team that um, had an incredible run last year. Uh, Kenny Walker was a, a Heisman candidate for most of the season, and uh, they had a really, you know, really strong. Uh, opportunistic defense with uh, head coach Mel Tucker uh, leading the, the charge. And certainly um, we did not perform very well at all against Michigan and Michigan State beat Michigan last year. So that would lead you to say, why on earth would, would I ever predict a win for the Huskies this year? It is a different season, however. And the, the, the Michigan State Spartans bell cow Kenny Walker is now a Seattle Seahawk. Um, I've listened to some uh, Michigan State reporters who say that for whatever reason, this team doesn't do well when going on the road to the West Coast. Um, so that bodes in their favor. They're going to be expected to, to try to get things done through the air. And their quarterback has not really proven that he can be that alpha dog uh, in the quarterback position. So I do think that this game is going to potentially be much more difficult for Michigan State to win than, uh, you know, maybe some national pundits might expect. That being said, until we see what the Huskies put onto the field in week one and week two, and ideally in week three, I'm going to have to say that this is going to be a loss for the Husky team. Uh, hopefully, you know, the offense that we're expecting Kalen DeBoer to usher in will have started to click by this point. But if it's not clicking, then there's really no hope for this team. Yeah, I think uh, having it at home will make it interesting. It'll be, it'll be fun to see. I mean, that, that should be a rocking Husky stadium because they should be coming in two and O and, and any sort of, you know, energy towards this season will, will be at full throttle. So uh, I, I think the Huskies can make it interesting um, just because I, I think they're going to have a more functional team this year, but uh, Michigan state currently ranked 15th in the season opening poll. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm taking the Spartans in that one. Uh, meanwhile, Oregon's going to have BYU, who is currently ranked 25th going into the season. They're going to get them at home. There's a good chance Oregon will have already picked up a loss to Georgia. And so then you have the possibility that they could begin Pac-12 play with two losses in their first three games uh, to very good teams. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... Uh, the magic of Autzen Stadium carries uh, Dan Lanning in his first real home test. You know, I went back and looked. Mario Cristobal was 22 and one in his time at Autzen Stadium, and then 12 and 13 away from Autzen Stadium. Uh, so I think the issue for Dan Lanning and, and the rest of the coaching staff is get Oregon to play as well on the road as they have traditionally played at home. But I'm going to say first real real home test for the Ducks. 
against a really good BYU team, and I and I think uh, Oregon's going to be up to the challenge. Should should be a really entertaining game, but I'm going to give the win to the Ducks. Mark, you've probably done a little bit more study on on this BYU team, but are they bringing back their starting quarterback from last year? Uh, you're asking the wrong. I I actually have not really done a deep dive. Uh, okay. I I know we'll we'll do that when they when they play in a couple weeks, but I yeah. I could not tell you. Um, Obviously, a couple of years ago, they had Zach Wilson, who was drafted in the first round, very successful. Um, so, you know, for me, not knowing that, 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 you know, that may be part of the factor for me, because I think that the, the, the simple fact of the matter is you and I both know that as talented as a team is, if the starting quarterback is not solidified, by week three, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And so um, for that for that reason and that reason only, I'm going to say that I think that this BYU team has a better than uh, expected chance to, to, to steal this win. For them, this is going to be one of the biggest games on their season. And they've probably been targeting this game for quite a while now, uh, so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the advantage to the the Cougars um, because of the fact that uh, this Oregon team isn't bringing back an established uh, returning starter. Obviously, Bo Nix has big game experience, but we really don't know what he's gonna do in this Oregon uh, offense, and. Um, I think uh, having to go against Georgia and then turn around and get get back on the horse uh, in time for BYU may be a little bit more difficult than some Oregon fans are expecting. So just to follow up on your your question, they do return Jaron Hall uh, as their quarterback, who had a very good year last year, 20 touchdown passes, five interceptions. They return eight starters on offense, 10 starters on defense. Mm. So 18 starters returning from a good BYU team. Uh, also worth noting their second game of the year that year, uh, this coming year is against Baylor at home, uh, who figures to be a top 10 caliber team. Yeah. So both Oregon and BYU really loaded up on their early schedules and a good chance that one of those teams is going to end up one and two with a couple really, really tough losses. So, uh, yeah, I'm not taking BYU for granted at all. I think it should be a very, very well-played, entertaining game, and I think Oregon will have to play really well to beat them. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm gonna give some, some faith in uh, Coach Lanning to have his guys ready. Okay. Let, let's move on to Week Four, uh, finishing out September. This will be opening of, of. Actual play and, and we're going to have a chance Warren to really kind of dig into all of these games as the season goes on so you know I don't think we necessarily have to be like you know breaking down the matchups as much as just kind of getting like a general general feel of how we're feeling about our team's chances yeah. here Washington hosts the beleaguered Stanford Cardinal coming off one of the worst seasons in recent memory Oregon goes up to Pullman to play Washington State. I'm going to jump in on this one early, Warren, and say I am very, very nervous about Oregon 
and going to Pullman and playing what could potentially be a very explosive team with with transfer quarterback Cam Ward. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually I'm a, I'm going to give an L to the Ducks here just because I've seen strange things happen in Pullman. Yeah, and I think uh, I I it just I just have that kind of feeling where I I feel like this could be a potential game, especially if they if they come through and take care of business in a hard fought game against BYU, could be a bit of a trap. So you're talking about two weeks in a row playing against Cougars, and um, yeah, you know I think you're right. I think if 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 you're playing the odds, winning one out of the two weeks against the Cougars is probably about right. Um, so since I picked a loss against BYU at home, I'm gonna say that they come back. They take they take the W against Washington State. Um, you know, a lot's being said about Cam Ward, but uh, he's still got to do it on the field with this team, and. Um, you know, by week four, that Oregon defense should be really tightened up and clamped down by that point. And they be they may be just too powerful defensively uh, for the, the Washington State Cougars to really get into the rhythm that they want to get into. On the other side with Washington playing Stanford, um, this is a Stanford team that is the exact opposite of what Stanford teams used to be about. Uh, they, they don't have a great rushing offense. They've got a strong quarterback who looks like a potential NFL draft pick in Tanner McKee. And uh, they have the worst defense in the Pac-12 in 2021. So I think this is a W for the Huskies, although Washington seems to struggle with Stanford. I think that that recipe is now being thrown out the window with the new coaching staff. So I think uh, Kalen DeVores and uh, and William Inge on the defensive coordinator are going to take a totally different approach than what the Huskies did last year. I agree with your assessment. I'm also marking the Huskies down for a win over Stanford. So that would put the Huskies at three and one exiting September. We both have the Ducks at two and two. Right. Uh, exiting September and then going into October that same Stanford team uh, travels to Autzen and despite the fact that Oregon lost in kind of humiliating fashion last year to Stanford so much about that game was weird we won't get into all of it I think Oregon avenges that I think they take care of business at home against Stanford who who I just don't expect to be a great Stanford team and I think the much more interesting matchup in week five is your Huskies at UCLA. What are you feeling there, Warren? Well, first of all, I agree. I think Oregon wins against Stanford and it won't even be close. I think they're going to get their vengeance and, um, and Stanford will, will, you know, go home uh, with their tail between their legs. Uh, so Washington at UCLA. This is an incredibly hard game. Uh, it looks like Chip Kelly is finally starting to really get his mojo back with this UCLA team. They, you know, as as poorly as the Oregon season ended, I think conversely, the UCLA season really ended with a lot of uh, momentum. 
And I don't see that changing. I think that they're going to be a really dynamic team uh, coming back into this year. So I think at, on the road against UCLA, um, it's it's going to be a loss for the Huskies. I'm I'm with you. I think UCLA. You know, they've, there's been continuous improvement under Chip uh, the last few years. People are kind of, um, I think, have been a little more critical of his tenure at UCLA than is deserved because their win total has improved each year. And I think if your win total has improved each year, until it stops improving, you're doing a pretty good job. And so I think this will be a big test as to whether they can continue that trajectory, especially in a division with a really good Utah and USC teams potentially but I think UCLA should uh, take care of business at home against the Huskies. Yeah. That brings us to week six and both Oregon and Washington are going to have trips to the desert, which I think for both of us brings up all kinds of bad memories of things yeah. happening uh, for Washington. It's at Arizona state who I think figures to be the better of the two Arizona schools for Oregon. Mm -hmm. it, at Arizona. How are you feeling about uh, a road trip down to Arizona State back-to-back -back road trips here? Well, this is definitely a, a toss-up type of game because there's just so much that we don't know about either one of these programs. But I do think that, um, you know, by week, what are we, week six now? Um, by week six, we're, we're starting to steady the ship on the offense. We figured out who we are defensively. I think the talent and the coaching uh, is superior to what Arizona State has right now. So I'm going to give this a W, but as you already mentioned, anything can happen in the desert, and it has. So if this ends up being a Husky loss, it won't come as a shocker. Yeah, I think the better the Huskies are going into this game, the um the more I doubt their ability to win. Like if Washington beats Michigan State, then mark it down, they're going to lose to the Sunday. But, <laughs> but if Washington comes in, you know, three and two, this is totally the type of game that Arizona State doesn't take care of business in. So that's that's kind of how I see it. It's like, I think the Sun Devils only win it if uh, if it's totally a game where we're writing them off. So I, I think the Huskies take care of business. Uh, conversely, Oregon going to Arizona. I think Arizona should be better than they've been, but that's not saying a ton. I think Oregon should have, you know, plenty to be able to withstand a, a trip to Tucson. So I'm going to put the Ducks down for a win. Uh, are you in agreement with me there? I have no problem with that pick whatsoever. Okay, so then that moves us to uh, week seven, which would be a bye week for the Ducks. And that same Arizona team would then travel to Seattle to face your Huskies. Are you uh, also confident that uh, that the Huskies can, can take care of the Wildcats and get both Arizona teams in two weeks? I am. I think the Jet Fish is moving the, the, the Wildcats in the right direction, but they're not there yet. I think... Uh, you know, they're at least another year or two away from really being a serious threat. So I, I'm, I think that's going to be a, a game where our, our starters may be going out at the end of the third quarter. So you've got uh, Washington now at five and two at this point in the schedule. And I've got, uh, I've got Oregon at four and two with a bye week. Mm -hmm. Um and I think we're we're pretty much 
pretty much in lockstep. So I and I and I, I think we're yeah we're both we both have the same record picks so far in terms of total total number, but I do think it's fair to say that there's this there's a legitimate possibility that Oregon could be, you know, uh, three and three at this point in the season. Um, you know, losing Georgia, losing to BYU, losing to Washington State. Uh, those are those are reasonable uh, outcomes. So if if you're if you do find yourself halfway through the season, you know, going into that off week at three and three, what's your what's your temperature like at that moment? Boy, uh, three and three would feel it, it would be hard for that not to feel like a pretty big disappointment. You know, uh, even even if they play well and it's just hard fought games because I think like we've talked about with the BYU Washington state thing is that it's like, okay, losing to one of those teams seems reasonable. Losing to both of those teams would, would really feel like a gut punch. And my guess is if somehow Oregon started the year three and three, it would be a couple of just strange games where it's like, Oh yeah, that was the game where we missed three field goals in Pullman or, Oh yeah, that was the game where, you know, we had a 10 point lead on BYU with seven minutes to go and they scored twice in the last seven minutes or, you know, it's, it would just be, there's going to be something kind of weird. Uh, right, so, so gut reaction, if you were three and three, but then I told you that you guys would win the next five out of your six games to finish off nine and four, would, would you take that? Would I take that right now? Yeah. No. No, I'm, I, I'm, 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 I would want to roll the dice and see if this team is capable of even, even more than that. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. So the Huskies are back on the road at California. Uh, Justin Wilcox and the bears have really been a thorn in the Husky side for the last several years, most notably the lightning game. Uh, but uh, although this is a popular pick for a Husky upset, uh, or in terms of the Huskies losing, I'm going to uh, think that um, Kalen DeBoer and Co. are going to be more prepared for this California team, and uh, their offense is a little bit more geared up for what they want to do against that team. So I'm going to take uh, the Huskies to win against California on the road. I think Washington will be the better team than California, but I think this is this is just one of those games that sometimes teams lose games that they shouldn't win. And I think Oregon will or uh, Washington will have survived against both of the Arizona schools. And you know there is some weird history playing in Cal is just a weird thing in general. There's not really like a home field advantage there, but that that sometimes almost kind of works against the road team because there's just not much of an atmosphere at all. So I, I just think it's going to be a weird game. I think Cal's going to get the Huskies. It's going to be back down to earth a little bit coming into the bye week. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, this is, I'm going to depart with you here and I'm going to say the Huskies take the L. Meanwhile, uh, the Ducks hosting former Duck coach Chip Kelly in UCLA and I'm going to say big game for Chase Coda, a former Bruin. 
who transferred back home to Oregon, uh, playing for his dad's alma mater. I think Chase Coda has a has a great uh, game against his former mates, and Oregon takes care of business against the Bruins. Okay, yeah, I think this is um, this is a really this is a toss up game for me. I think um, obviously you're talking about the Chase Coda connection but obviously there's a little bit of a history with chip kelly and the university of oregon i i can't help but think that uh coming into Autzen with the strongest ucla team that he's had up to this point is not going to be a little extra motivation um i'm yeah i'm not super confident in this but i'm going to take ucla over oregon in this game all right, now we're getting interesting here. So uh, this is all. Uh, this will be an interesting kind of next five weeks here. Uh, how how we kind of see these two teams uh, going. So Washington uh, coming off their game against Cal, which you have them winning, I have them losing. They they're going to enjoy a bye. Oregon is going to have to go to that same Cal team. I see them going into Cal after Cal has just won a weird game against the Huskies. I think that'll help Oregon not to take it for granted. They're going to come in focused. Uh, they've got a little winning streak going after that tough loss to the Cougars. They're, they're going to feel like they're in Pac-12 contention. And so I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give the Ducks the win over Cal. I, I am too. I see that as a win for, for Oregon. All right. So if, if, uh, if that's the case, I'm, I think, um, the simpler game to choose from that point forward. Uh, Oregon's next game is at Colorado. Colorado figures to be one of the worst teams in the conference. And I'm going to give the Ducks a win at Colorado. Uh, do you see any reason to challenge that, Warren? Nope. Nope. I think that's an easy win for the Ducks, especially, um, you know, later in the season with – there any any early season problems have been worked out by that point barring any injury i don't think that's going to be a problem oregon state however is a much more difficult uh game to pick it's a friday night game it's at home uh the huskies lost narrowly to oregon state last year um but the the ineptitude of the Husky team last year made it so hard to really evaluate whether or not uh, this Oregon State team could beat just a mildly capable Husky team. Um, again, I think it's one of those games like Arizona State where I wouldn't be shocked if Jonathan Smith pulls out an upset, but my heart and my head both tell me that the Huskies are going to win this game at home on a Friday night in front of hopefully a full stadium. So coming off of a bye, I, the Friday night thing definitely uh, is mitigated by that. Um, and I, man, this is tough because I do think at home and coming off a bye, those things favor the Huskies. At the same time, I think the Beavers are going to be feisty this year. And uh, I have some fondness in my heart for the Beavers. My mom grew up in Corvallis. So I'm, I'm going to take the Beavers to, uh, to, to get a win here. It's going to give a little bit of a losing streak for the Huskies coming into uh, their matchup 
at Oregon, November 12th, which we hope to be at that game uh, together in attendance. Yeah. So what do you think is going to happen in the, uh, the great grudge match between Washington and Oregon on November 12th at Austin Stadium? So I just mentioned, you know, my heart in my head. And I think that uh, my soul wants the Huskies to win this game. But my heart and my head are both telling me that it's not going to happen on the road in Autzen. Um, I'm 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 taking the loss, and um, I'll be I'll I'll be flying home if uh, if the Huskies win because I'll be on cloud nine. But <laughs> I'm I'm preparing myself emotionally for the reality that. Uh, this is not the year that the Huskies reproduced the 70 to 21 win in Autzen. I, so I'm in agreement with you. I'm, I'm putting the ducks down for the win, but I will say that the way I've got this, which is the Huskies kind of have a nice start to the year, five and two to start the year. And then I've got them. They lose a weird game to Cal. They go on, they have a bye. Then they've got a Friday night game to the Beavers, which they somehow lose to. I actually, if that scenario played out, and the Huskies were like a five and four team that felt like they could have been, you know, eight and one, if things had gone a little bit differently, I think I'm going to be more nervous than like, like, I think if Washington comes into that game ranked in the top 25 and Autzen is just lit, mm-hmm. I'm going to feel really good about the Ducks chances because it's just going to feel like, yeah, you know, this is a monumental game and they're going to be up for it. But I actually think if, if, Washington kind of is sleepwalking a little bit at that point in the season. Uh, I'm going to be worried that they're going to find their footing uh, against their rival in, in a big time moment. So I'm, I'm putting the ducks as a win, but I'm, I'm not putting that, you know, with, with a great deal of overconfidence. I think, uh, I think there's, there's a potential that, uh, that the Huskies make that interesting. Well, you know, as we mentioned at the top of this review, two brand new head coaches starting the you know first year. So all of the you know the the history, it's it's meaningful for fans and certainly the players are thinking and talking about it. But in terms of about what does it mean for this year, really, there's not a whole lot we can take from what the last couple of years, have meant for either one of these teams as it relates to this head-to-head matchup. So again, I think the Huskies on the road against one of the teams on our schedule that is uh, probably does have superior talent. Um, you know, that's a that's an uphill battle uh, for any team, but especially when you throw in the rivalry between the two. Uh, you know, Oregon, Oregon clearly has the upper hand right now. I'm in agreement. Um, We'll, 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 I'm sure be talking about that game a lot more in the weeks to come. Let's, let's finish up the season here. Uh, We're now at the next to last game, the penultimate game for each team. Washington is home against Colorado I'm guessing we're both in agreement here that uh, that Washington should take care of business against Colorado absolutely embarrassed by Colorado last year we should have easily won that game we narrowly lost it Um, I have no 
doubt in my mind that we'd come away with the W. So meanwhile, uh, that same week, Oregon will be hosting Utah, who is a top 10 team to start the season. Utah destroyed Oregon in both of their matchups this past season. And uh, this is a game that could have major conference title implications for both teams. For Oregon, it would be the second uh, home game back-to-back weeks against against a major Pac-12 rival with Washington and then and then Utah coming in so that's some favorable scheduling but I'm gonna I'm gonna put this one down as an L I can't say in good confidence that Oregon I can't predict an Oregon win over Utah until Oregon actually shows up and shows me that they're capable of beating Utah after what happened in the last two games of of last season so uh, I'm gonna give this one to the Utes Uh, where are you on this one Warren I agree. I mean, I think the the biggest thing is you've got Kyle Whittingham and he knows how to coach football games. Uh, Cameron Rising will be almost two years in as a a starter. Tavion Thomas is probably the best running back in the Pac-12. So assuming that those guys are healthy, we know Utah's defense is going to be stout. I'm giving this this, uh, matchup to Utah. So that brings us to uh, to the finales here. You've got uh, Washington at Washington State in the Apple Cup. And now you've got them losing to Michigan State, to UCLA, and to Oregon. So you've got them through 11 weeks. You would have them at 8-3, and three, which would already have beaten their over-under of 7.5 wins. You've got them 8-3 and three playing with house money in the Apple Cup in Pullman against the Cougs, potentially taking uh, vengeance on, on last year and the whole flag planting and everything that goes along with that. Are, are you uh, confident in your Huskies to, to kind of return to your ways of, of taking care of business in the Africa? I think that that flag planting was very personal to a lot of these Husky players. Um, and there's, there's a lot of reason to think that Huskies will – will come in there and really assert their dominance. That being said, do I anticipate uh, a, a nine and three finish for this Husky team in the regular season? That seems like a tall order. Uh, so, you know, we've talked about there's, there's somewhere in this schedule, there's at least one, if not more loss that we feel like, you know, the Huskies should have won. And I'm going to say on the road with Cam Ward and that offense really clicking, I'm going to give this game to the Cougars. Oh, okay. Um, so, so Mark, I mean, you got to know how much this pains me that I'm giving us a season, a season, you know, preview where I anticipate us going eight and four, but losing to the Oregon Ducks and the Washington State Cougars. So if that's not like the definition of a uh, bittersweet, then I don't know what is, but I do think we eclipse the Vegas number of 7.5 wins. So that, that gets us to eight wins, but there's going to be some heartbreak along the way. Interesting. Well, so, and what's, what's going to be make this more interesting is I'm going to disagree with you, Warren. I see this game as a win for the Huskies. Uh, 
just because I have seen so many years where the Cougars, if they can just win the Apple Cup, can mm-hmm. you know, play for the Pac-12 title or, or have a chance at going to the Rose Bowl again or something like that. And then the Huskies, you know, disappoint them. That happened in the Mike Leach era. It happened going back to the Mike Price era. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm looking at this from an Oregon perspective of Oregon. I, I, I have them losing to the Cougars early and then losing to the Utes late. And I think Oregon's going to be in the position where they're in order to play in the Pac-12 title game, they're going to need the Cougars to lose again. They're going to be tied in the standings. They're not going to have the tiebreaker and the Huskies are going to do us a favor. They're going to take care of the Cougars. They're going to ruin the Cougars season, promising season and, uh, and pave the way for, for Oregon to, uh, to make their way into the Pac-12 title game. And I'm going to, I'm going to send you a note of, uh, of thanks for that, but I've I've got uh, I've got the Huskies okay. winning against the Cougars, and and so I'm trying to figure out what I've got. So you've got them going eight and four. I've got them losing to Michigan State, UCLA, Cal, Oregon State, and Oregon. So I've got them seven and five, and I'm taking the under on that seven and a half win. So okay. I do five losses for them, but I'm, I'm giving them a win against the Cougars. All right. So, so Mark, you know, we're talking about the final week of the season, both teams playing against their in-state rival. And you talked about those pesky beavers. Do you see, uh, you know, them posing a problem uh, for Oregon, you know, for Oregon going on the road to Corvallis where two years ago in 2020, uh, the the Oregon State Beavers pulled off a pretty remarkable comeback. They did pull off a remarkable comeback, and the Beavers in my life will probably never let me forget that. Uh, but I I think um, I think coming off of a loss to Utah, uh, I see Oregon then sitting there. They're going to be nine and three. I think they're still going to be in the conversation for potentially getting into the, the conference title game. I think they're going to be competing with maybe the Cougars and, and USC or something for that, that spot in the conference championship game. Now it's no longer determined by division winners. So, um, so it could come down to Oregon versus USC or something like that. I think they're going to take care of business in Corvallis. I think they're going to have a lot to play for. I think they're going to play one of their best games of the season. And I think they're going to end on a good note and, and take care of the Beavers. What, uh, what do you think? All right, so you're you're saying you're, they're going into that game eight and three, and you think eight and three will be enough to, um, you know, get them into that Pac-12 championship game. Well, it would, it would be two losses in conference, so the Georgia loss wouldn't hurt them. So, so you know, does a seven and two conference record? I I think I'm I'm skeptical on USC. I could see USC um, also being like seven and two in conference play at that time, and, and it comes down to some sort of a a tiebreaker or something. Um, so yeah, well, yeah. I so just to to put it plainly, I I do think Oregon wins the game against Oregon State. I think if you're Oregon State, you, you know if you can beat. If you can beat the Ducks one out of every you know four to five years, that's a reasonable expectation. They beat them two years ago. I don't think that they're going to be able to do it again. 
nobody's going to fire Jonathan Smith if they play a respectable game but lose to the Oregon Ducks. Um, and I think that's because people expect that um, they're going to lose more often to the Ducks than they're going to win. So, I, yeah, I give them the, the win. That puts my prediction at eight and four. Um, perhaps not surprisingly, just under the uh, Vegas prediction. So both of us, um, you know, essentially mirrored our predictions. I was half a game over for the Huskies and half a game under for the Ducks. You were half a game over for the Ducks and half a game under for the Huskies. Big surprise from coming from the dog and duck show. But I think it does go to the point that potentially, like if if this, if if these two seasons that we're talking about, the Husky season, the Oregon season, play out the way that we predicted, um, it's going to make for a great year of the dog and duck show. Yeah. Because it means that throughout the entire year, both teams are going to feel relevant. They're going to feel like the season has importance and value. Both will be bowl eligible teams. Both will feel to some extent, I would think, that the program is going in a good direction. And that's not only good for Washington and Oregon, but that's good for the Pac-12 right now you know, taking note of the fact that USC and UCLA are on their way out. Um, I think the Pac-12 wants and needs for Washington and Oregon and Utah to really have a strong year this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. And I, I think uh, what this exercise has shown us is that uh, – these two teams are more evenly matched than the preseason rankings might have us indicate. And it does, it does feel like, I think from a scheduling perspective, um, Oregon maybe has a little tougher schedule just in terms of caliber of opponent. The fact that they've got BYU and Utah on there, I think does kind of differentiate that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think also, uh, you know, some interesting kind of favorable scheduling, the Huskies getting, Michigan State at home, I think, gives them at least a fighter's chance in that game. Um, Oregon getting Washington and Utah back to back at home late in the year is a really, you know, a real benefit to them if if they're trying to, you know, potentially be in a, a run for the conference championship game. So, uh, yeah, just you know, walking through these games, it it makes me really excited uh, because I th think uh, um, even if we can kind of sketch them out and say, well, they should win here, they should lose here. Mm -hmm. You know, once we get in the games, weird things are going to happen. There's going to be results. We don't expect. I think both of our teams are probably going to, you know, win at least one of the games that we've got them down as a loss for and, and probably lose one of the games that we've got them down as a win for. So it's going to be a lot of fun to follow that. Yeah, Mark, I want to I want you just to give me a gut reaction. So don't overthink this one. But if if these two teams were to switch each other's schedules, um, you know, what what would you say Washington's schedule would be or what Washington's record would be if they had the Oregon schedule? And what would Oregon's schedule be if they had the Washington schedule? 
Well, if, if I'm if just doing a gut reaction, I would say Washington, if they had Oregon's schedule, they're going to lose to Georgia. They're going to lose to BYU. They're going to lose to Utah. They're going to lose to Oregon. Um, and, and then I would say they're probably going to lose to at least one other team. You know, maybe it's UCLA at home. Maybe it's the Beavers on the road. So I think, I think it's still probably about seven and five. Um, but I, but I would feel, uh, I would feel like there's going to be, there's going to be a bigger gap between them and the teams that they lost to. Um, whereas I think the seven and five that I put them down for includes losses to Cal and Oregon state and UCLA. I've got, I've got them losing three games mm-hmm. that I think are just going to be kind of wonky. Yeah. And I guess if I were going to give them losses in all of those same games on the other side of the schedule and then add losses to Utah, BYU and, uh, and Georgia, then it's, I mean, what, what is that? That's more of like a, like a five and seven, like. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Oregon conversely, they may, they may go 10 and two this year with the Huskies schedule. So I think it's, you know, like we talked a little bit about, you know, that at the end of the day, Vegas is, rated the odds that both teams are going to finish within a game each other in terms of total wins. But I don't think that tells the whole story. That was kind of my point is I think that Oregon is right now on paper, the better team and they should be expected to perform uh, at a higher level, but because of the schedules, it is an equalizer for this season. And I think it's a good, I think it's a good reminder for both Husky fans and Duck fans to to kind of keep that in mind as they evaluate each other's seasons. But also, this is a golden opportunity for Kalen DeBoer to really start his Husky, you know, tenure on a strong foot with a very favorable season, a favorable you know schedule because it's not going to be like this every year. Yeah. So we've got to take advantage of this kind of a, a schedule. Mark, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, Warren, it's just the season could not get here soon enough. So much fun Let's to look at games. And uh, I know it's the next couple of weeks are, are going to uh, go by before you know it. And we're going to be, we're going to be talking about week one action. All right. Well, Thank you for everybody who continues to tune into the Dog and Duck Show on the Fourth and Inches Network, Real Dog Radio, and uh, all of our friends uh, all over the country that listen. Thank you for joining us. Uh, For all my dog fans out there, go dogs. And for all my duck fans, go ducks.